summer on Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier, we're going to talk about five threats to harmony in your family. So we invite you to join us for this series on growing through challenges with unresolved grief, boundaries, people-pleasing, triangulation, and dysfunctional roles. We'll be bringing you into our Soul Shepherding Counseling Office to learn from people who have made positive changes in their families. Our prayer is to help you experience greater emotional and spiritual health in your family and all of your relationships. Hi, Soul Talks friends. We want to welcome you and we want to welcome our new listeners to Soul Talks, those that are just new to our community and joining us. We are so glad to have you with us on Soul Talks. It's so fun for us. Last night, Bill, you and I were at a wedding and we got to meet another new Soul Talks listener, uh, Wendy. Hi, Wendy. It was so fun. And then we got to talk to Jerry, who we, had, we hadn't seen for a couple of years. And oh, it was so fun to hear that she listens to us. So hi, Jerry. And uh, we just, we love to talk to you and hear from you. It's been so helpful and encouraging to me, Bill, this series that we're in, because I just, to tell you the truth, I haven't been feeling really that great about it. And so it, we've been getting a lot of feedback, though, that's been really helpful. And so it's like, oh, well, God's doing something, even though I haven't been feeling confident. So that's really encouraging. Yeah, we're talking about family. And today we're going to be talking about uh, confessions of a perfectionist. Because perfectionism uh, affects families. And I think just about every family has a perfectionist in it, uh, or two. <laughs> it is something we struggle with a lot. And I think that in this day and age, in some ways, it's it's even a stronger, harder thing. I mean, I think about things like Pinterest and you know Instagram, and so much what's on there can even cause me, not a perfectionist, to feel inadequate, like I'm failing, like I'm not living it up, or like I need to improve in all these areas of my life, because I, I get this vision of perfection, this picture, this portrait of it, you know, of somebody, you know, that it's it's making me feel like I'm not enough. Yeah, the temptation to feel inadequate and to compare ourselves is just constant, especially in our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everywhere we go, we're getting uh, images and messages of how we could look better, do better, be better, be more popular, uh, be happier. And it just seems like everything is telling us you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you don't look good enough, try harder. Yeah. And for you, Bill, you have an upper notch on the frustration of living as a perfectionist because your whole personality is really oriented around striving for excellence, for this achieving this perfection. You're what some call maybe a frustrated idealist because mm. you can never quite reach that perfection to which you are, achie- are attaining. Or No, that's the wrong word. Help me. <laughs> the perfectionism I'm trying to attain. Or, yes, or the, that's what uh, I mean. The Thank excellence yes. I'm trying to attain. And that's, there's a fine line between excellence and perfectionism. And so that's, that's part of the challenge here is excellence is a good thing. We, we want to give our best. And mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes things can be improved. And it's meaningful to try to improve them. And yet when does that cross over into an anxious striving or image management or competing with other people and just a, a perfectionism that... Uh, sours life, mm-hmm. it makes life less uh, enjoyable, takes away our peace, and affects the people around us. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I was a perfectionist when I came out of the womb. My mom tells <laughs> me that uh, from 
uh, just being a, a little guy, I would uh, line up all my matchbooks cars, you know, just perfectly in a row and get them all going and set my blocks up, you know, one on top of the other and make it just right. And I've always been that way. Yeah, your closet is beautiful. <laughs> I can't, I couldn't maintain it like you can. I do like organization. Yeah, you're good at it too. And I, I have uh, learned that one of the things that we do as perfectionists when we feel stressed or distressed or troubled, anxious, frustrated about problems, things aren't going right, we will tend to try to zero in on something and make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, that's like cleaning the house or cleaning their car or reorganizing their closet or mm-hmm. getting some new clothes or uh, do, doing some, some project and just really doing it excellent. And there's nothing r- wrong with any of those things. It's fine. But when we're doing that subliminally to uh, make ourselves not feel anxious anymore. It doesn't really solve the things in our life that are out of control or chaotic or disorderly or don't feel good enough or where we're feeling criticized and inadequate. It doesn't really solve that. It might make us feel better for a little while, but the underlying anxiety and insecurity and low self-esteem is still there. Yeah. Well, you know, Scripture says, be perfect as I am perfect. Yeah, that's so easily misunderstood. The, the Greek word there is teleos, and it means uh, completed. So what Jesus is saying is continue the process of uh, learning and growing in grace to uh, become more godly. Yeah, that's important for us to understand because some of us can feel shame when we're not achieving perfection, and we see others that are, or we think that that's what God expects. Well, because part of perfectionism is all-or-nothing thinking. And so uh, if you're a perfectionist or you live with someone who is, then you, you know this because there will be areas of your life that are just right, but then there'll be other ones that are like a mess or not, not good at all because you, you can't sustain it. You, right. can't, you can't be perfect everywhere. Yeah, that's important. So often perfectionism is manifests in pockets of perfectionism, certain yeah. areas. Mm-hmm. And so we are hoping that you're connecting with this uh, for yourself or for a loved one. Uh, don't, don't elbow your, your spouse or your friend too hard as you're listening here, <laughs> because that can just activate the self-criticism, yeah. right? right. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm the perfectionist, and so I'm, I'm here to confess that. Uh, I said to Christy the other day, you know, I think I'm an everything-can-be-improved addict. <laughs> uh, and it's hard to get away from that. You know, yeah. any of you that struggle with a compulsive behavior or if you have had issues with uh, drinking too much or any addiction, you, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, to uh, get that under control. And you, uh, especially with something like maybe eating too much or perfectionism, it, you can't really go cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you know, you can, to get free of a drug addiction, you need to go abstinent and just not uh, use it at all. But you can't really do that with perfectionism <laughs> because no. there's constant things in your life that you need to work on. And, and so it's learning that those two words that are very elusive for the perfectionist, good enough. Yeah. It's, it's good enough. Yeah. See? And it's for some people to say that's probably a dangerous thing because they, they're, they're not really working hard enough or they're not uh, striving for excellence and they're... They're maybe sort of lazy or doing shoddy work. Probably not. Our listeners would be like that, but uh, some people are mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. so t- they don't so much need to be telling themselves good enough. They probably need to say, you know, you, you could do better. 
But uh, pe- people like me who are perfectionistic, or if you just have a pocket area of that, you really need to be giving yourself grace. Mm-hmm. And receiving grace from others, too. I think, you know, for those of you that live with a perfectionist, to have compassion on them. This is hard. You know, I remember just noticing the way that you'll look in the yard and all our backyard and you'll see all the things that aren't perfect that you want to improve. And I look at the backyard and I'm like, it's stunning. It's gorgeous. It's amazing what you've done. And I feel sad for you that you don't get that same impact, that same enjoyment because you're looking at and seeing all the things you want to improve, all the things that aren't perfect enough. Yeah. The the dead flowers that need to be trimmed off and and so forth. Yeah. Well, it's something that I um, pray for help with, and I mm-hmm. I do uh, practice gratitude when I go yeah. in the yard, and uh, that helps. But and I, you practice discipline of not just going all obsessive compulsive and improving it. And yet, I do I do struggle with what you're saying. It, it, my enjoyment of the yard does tend to get diminished by my noticing the work that needs to be done mm-hmm. and getting activated around that. Mm-hmm. And that's true everywhere in life. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you've helped me a lot over the years with my tendency to uh, judge or criticize or pressure myself because of the ways that you give me compassion and grace. And specifically the ways that, I mean, some of you who are listening might uh, wonder, well, you know, what does it mean to give someone uh, grace and compassion? Because sometimes we do that by just saying encouraging, affirming things, which is a good gift to give to somebody. But you need to sort of be sensitive about affirming people. It needs to be like the right time and something that they're actually needing. And because it can come across as empty reassurance or, or flattery. And so the safest way is to start with empathy and to really tune into what somebody is feeling and struggling with and so that's what you do for me. And when I'm anxious or feeling inadequate, uh, you'll ask questions and, and draw me out and uh, pay attention to my inner person and help me do that. And then so what I've learned to do over the years is to join with you and with other friends and the Lord and uh, giving myself grace. That's really important what you just said. You have to receive the empathy that I'm giving and even help me inner end to what it's like for you, what you're feeling, so I can empathize. And then as I understand what it's like for you and I and the pressure you feel or the vision that you have that you can't achieve and, and all of that, I can empathize with that. Then you have to receive it yourself and agree with the empathy I'm giving you. Yeah, and I really like that language, uh, agree with the empathy or grace that you're giving me. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't do that, if I don't uh, implicitly ask you or explicitly ask you to listen to me, to care for me, then it doesn't really get in. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about that on a recent podcast about the importance of asking for what Mm -hmm. we need Mm -hmm. and how Jesus teaches about that again and again and again, Mm -hmm. because uh, Jesus is a master psychologist and he knows Mm -hmm. that if we don't take ownership of what we feel, uh, what our weaknesses are and so forth, and if we don't say, hey, this is what I need, then the care that we receive, even from God... It doesn't get in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we might think about it. We might think that it's nice, but we're not really absorbing it. And so to really internalize and make use of the care that someone gives us, we need to join with it. We need to be saying inside, yes, I need this. 
we need to say to the person, thank you for listening. And that, that is really important. And when we don't do that, it's actually frustrating for the listener or the yeah, caregiver. Very, very. And, and a lot of you know about that because mm-hmm. you're, you're small group leaders or counselors or teachers or uh, 12-step uh, leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're in ministry. Teachers. And, and you, you care for other people. Mm-hmm. And so you know what it's like to pour into somebody and then to have them uh, not really receive it. And so you keep trying harder to give that, that empathy and it's, it's not quite getting in. And so it's tiring. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to articulate what's wrong there because it seems like the person is, is asking you for your care because they're talking and they're, they're reaching out to you. But actually there's some unconscious part of that person that's defeating the grace you're giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when we ask for what we need, we're we're getting around that. We're undoing that saboteur on the inside of us. That's really important. Yeah, so that that's what something I've been working on for a number of years, and it really it really helps, so that there gets to be a, a softening of my conscience and my internalized parent in me so that I'm learning to treat myself with more gentleness and more grace. Yeah. It's, it's, you've made huge strides in this area in our marriage. And I'm so grateful for that to where you can receive that grace and treat your, like you said, treat yourself with that grace. And I've seen the fruit of that be, you can actually not be controlled by the perfectionism. You can actually learn to let that go and be at rest and be at peace. And and be connected with me instead of not able to because you're either consumed with this striving or you're judging yourself for it. Yeah, when I'm in perfectionism, I'm not at rest. No. And th- this is why I wrote the book, Your Best Life in Jesus' Easy Yoke, because it's a book for Bill. It's because in my genetics and my history, I'm not in an easy yoke at all. Perfectionism is the anti-easy yoke. And I'm striving and straining and stressing and pushing and comparing myself and judging myself. And it's just endless exhaustion. Yeah. And those of us in relationship with someone that's in that state don't feel loved. Well, that's that's the really uh, uh, sad thing about this because... Um, most of us who are perfectionists, and certainly this has been true of me, is that I, I never want to do to somebody else what I'm living with. Mm-hmm. I've been hurt by criticism and pressure, mm-hmm. mostly from myself, but also in my childhood and my, my forming. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to me to give compassion and gentleness and grace to other people. And I, I was formed in that even as, as a boy. And being sensitive to my mom and caring mm-hmm. for her. And I decided at a young age to study psychology and to become a counselor because I wanted to give compassion and grace to people. And so it was a real shock to me when I learned uh, in my 20s when I first started learning this was that, wow, you know, the way that I talk to myself, the way that I treat myself, it's affecting uh, you, Christy. Mm-hmm. It's affecting uh, other people around me, my friends, my loved ones. And even when I'm consciously and verbally uh, giving leeway or, or gentleness, mm-hmm. there's this unconscious yeah. sort of between the lines stuff that's just coming off of my, yeah. my face and uh, uh, out of the pores of my body is like it's just kind of oozing out there, this 
this odious perfectionism that people can feel it. They can see how I'm, how I'm wired and how I'm, I'm oriented, and then they, they get uncomfortable. And yeah, well, that happened last week. I mean, for most time you've really last week. You really, I thought I was in recovery. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, you've really moderate, moderated this so so much. You, most of the time, I feel very protected. You don't need to make me feel your... better. I do still struggle with perfectionism. Go go ahead. Well, we confess you... my sin to the world. <laughs> It was, I just think it'd be helpful for our listeners. So um, we we had guests and so we had moved a mattress into another room um, to make room for, for guests. And I'd asked you to help me move the mattress back. And we went in to move the mattress back. Mm-hmm. I could just tell from your nonverbals, just because I know you so well after 32 years of marriage, that you were really unhappy with the state of things in that room. And I went in shame. I failed him. I'm not... Uh, you know, I can't keep the house perfect enough for him. He's really frustrated with how things are. And so I just started going into this all bad turning mm-hmm. on myself. And I knew your heart isn't, you would not want me to be feeling that way. I knew that. And so thankfully I was able to catch myself in it. And then I was able to recognize, well, he's hurting too. He's miserable. So not only am I hurting because I see this in, in coming off of him, but I need to have empathy for him that he's really frustrated with this too because he, he and then so then I went started to go into compassion with well you don't have energy to be dealing with this this is a room you never go in you never look at you never think about but the, but this was a trigger for you that triggered all these different areas where you don't have time and energy to be perfecting but you've got a vision for how you want to improve it well it was helpful when you admitted this to me and then I woke up to what was going on inside mm-hmm. of me and my attitude and my demeanor and uh, helped you with this and said, well, this is not, this is not about you. I don't expect you to do something differently in this room. This is about me and my perfectionism. And I wanted some things to be different and cleaner and more orderly and put away in here. But uh, neither of us have had time to deal with it. And it's okay. I'm really not angry at you about this. Yeah, that was so helpful. When, the way you responded to me with that. And, and I trusted you and I received grace from you. It seemed like after we talked about it, though, you got kind of free of what you were feeling, too. Because, yeah, I, I received your tender-hearted listening, and you're tuning in to my feelings, and uh, I felt cared for in that, and it helped me get realigned, because when we're in perfectionism, we're, we're looking at the outer cup, as Jesus mm-hmm. says to the mm-hmm. Pharisees, you know, hey, guys, you're, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, uh, and, you know, that's... That's fine to have a nice looking cup, but the problem is that inside is dirty. You need to deal with the inside. Clean the inside of the cup, and the outside will naturally get clean. The gentle wisdom of Jesus, right? And so that's what we need to do when we're in perfectionism. We need to look at the inside of the cup. And it doesn't matter how many things we clean or improve or fix or succeed at. You know, you can always climb a higher mountain and, and, and achieve more, be more successful. You can always make yourself look more more beautiful, more attractive, and it never fixes the mm-hmm. insecurity, the inadequacy no. that's deep inside. So you need to directly admit what's going on inside. And some of what we feel is legitimate brokenness and sin and so forth that needs, uh, needs forgiveness, needs healing, uh, and so forth. And some of it's just uh, false guilt we're putting on ourselves and pressure and stress that we're carrying that we really don't need to be carrying. God's not putting on us. We're putting on our shoulders. But the point is, until we, we own that, we're not going to get free of it. And you can't own it by just uh, a self-help process or just thinking about it. And probably not even by just praying about it. 
you really need to talk it through with somebody who's, who's tuning into you and giving you empathy. So that's how we take strides to grow in uh, recovery from perfectionism. And uh, you were um, um, complimenting me as having taken great strides. I think there are just hundreds of little tiny steps, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, over time that, that we take as we, uh, as we seek the Lord's help with our perfectionism, as we find a safe person to talk it through with and to uh, receive grace from the Lord, the... Uh, the great grace of God, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, Ephesians 2.8. So good. My grace is sufficient for you, the Lord said to Paul. Paul struggled with perfectionism. For my power, the Lord says, is made perfect in your weakness. Wow. That's good stuff right there in 2 Corinthians 12.9. If we can admit that we have weaknesses faults, uh, sins, insecurities, find someone safe to be honest with, and then to receive their compassion and join with that, agree with it, say thank you, receive it from the Lord. That's what's healing, that's what's renewing, that's what gives us uh, an inner source of security and confidence in the Lord. So God, we just pray uh, for all of our listeners who struggle with perfectionism. Lord, we pray for your, your grace and all of its beauty and splendor and power and all of your sweet sufficiency, Lord, that your grace would just melt away the perfectionistic thoughts and feelings, the judgments, the criticisms, the pressures that we put on ourselves. Lord. Help us to smile in the sunshine of your love, Lord Jesus that you bring to us. Lead us into relationships with people who are emotionally safe and have the capacity to, to uh, care for us. And Lord, help us in our relationships with others to give grace. And we know that to be more uh, of a blessing to other people, we need to let your blessings flow into us. And if we're talking to ourselves with self-condemnation and criticism and pressure, constantly that's going to affect the people around us and how we care for them so thank you god for your great grace in jesus name amen it's a blessing to share soul talks with you and your friends also we hope you'll visit soulshepherding.org and subscribe to our blog which we send out by email each week we would love to come speak at your church Or have you join us at our Soul Shepherding Institute? It's our joy to foster your intimacy with Jesus, emotionally healthy relationships, and fruitful ministry.